0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, welcome to episode one of Money for the Rest of Us, a podcast on money, investing, and the economy. I'm your host, David Stein. This is episode one. It's titled, What is Money? We're going to start at the very beginning. First, you might be asking... Why another podcast on investing in the economy? Aren't there a dozen of those already? I, I I actually have no idea how many there are. I've tried listening to them. Some of them I like, some of them not so much. But at the end of the day, I found a gap. There doesn't appear to be any podcasts that actually tell people how the economy really works. The problem with economics is those that know a little bit about economics invariably take in their politics so they come in from a conservative perspective this is how economics works or they come in from a liberal perspective this is how economic works I don't care about politics when it comes to the economy I just want to know what works in the real world so today we're going to talk about money and what money is you might be surprised that when, when I tell you what money is, is very different than what you might think it is. But first, some background on myself. I have been retired for two years now. I used to manage money for institutions, financial planners, and individuals. I, we managed about, we devised on about $30 billion. I was our firm's chief investment strategist. I love to get out and meet with clients and speak in public and educate them about what's going on in the markets, how the economy really works. I would do webcast. I I live in Idaho. I telecommuted for 10 years. And I remember sitting there when webcasting was first coming about and I'd run the whole thing on my computer. I would do the slides and and I'd talk into the mic and the mic would never talk back, which is the one downside to podcasting is is, is no interaction, but it can be very effective. That I would share about the economy and I would share what was going on. And... I love to teach about it. And so when I retired, I finally got to the point where I had enough money. And, and I could, I'm in my late 40s, and I could look out and say, I don't want to manage money anymore, other people's money. But I like to continue to teach. And so I write about the economy and investing, and now I'm doing a podcast on it. Now, think about the first time, your, your earliest memory of money I remember growing up, as I, as I look back, the earliest memory I have of money, I had a piggy bank. But it was not a pig. It was a caveman, a blue caveman. My sister had a pink one. This was the days when boys had blue toys, girls had pink toys. She had a pink caveman, not a cavewoman, caveman. I had a blue one. I would open up the rubber stopper, and, and in there you'd pull out a crisp dollar bill. Most of my money came from birthday money from my aunts and uncles. And, and you'd count the coins, and money was real. It was physical. You could see it. You could smell it. I've never tasted it, but you could do that too. My mother's piggy bank was glass, but it didn't have a stopper. It was sort of a one-way piggy bank. You put the money in, and it would stay there. And, and it dumbfounded me. How did she get that money out? Until one day in our family, single-parent household, we, we were flat out of money. And I remember seeing her in her bedroom, with a knife, sort of trying to get those coins out one by one. Money was physical. Now, what's your relationship with money today? Do you ever see it? Most of the time, it's in the bank. It's a number on your account statement. It's a number on the screen. Sometimes you might take money out of the ATM, but so many of our purchases are with debit cards or credit cards. We never see money. Money is very much not real in that sense. You you don't, it's not as physical anymore. Now that's her experience with money. Something else has changed with money though. It is as unreal as it seems today in terms of numbers or that money is digits. And I'll explain that when we talk about how money is created. Money used to be very real. If you go back hundreds of years, hundreds of years, what was money? Well, it was gold. It was coins. It was solid. It, It had backing. That ended in 1971 under Richard M. Nixon. That is when the dollar, the U.S. dollar, stopped being backed by gold. And many other currencies were tied to the dollar. So they effectively stopped being backed by gold in 1971. Now, many countries gave up the gold standard in, during the Great Depression. Now, let's think about that. Now, well, first off, gold is gold. Now, gold is not money. One of the when Ben Bernanke was speaking a, c- a couple years ago, I, I somebody some, one of the congressmen asked him, "Is gold money?" and and he said, "No, you know, gold is not money." And that's one of the things when we talk about what is money. The people that really, really know what money is, that understand the secrets of money, are central bankers. They know. Now, they often aren't as upfront as they should be. Because there was so much misunderstanding even among our leaders about what money is. Money is simply digits, and it can be created out of thin air. Governments can create money out of thin air. Banks can create money out of thin air. How do they do that? Well, a bank creates money whenever they make a loan. We usually think of banks as... Looking at their deposits or looking at how many reserve account or how much money they have in the reserve account at the central bank, and then they say, okay, we have this much money, this many hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, so we are going to make this many loans. In other words, the money is in the bank in terms of customer deposits, so I can now lend that money out if I'm a banker. That is not the way it works. In fact, the, the Bank of England came out in March and and was very upfront, which was astounding for a central bank to say, nah, that's not how money works. When a, money, or when a bank actually makes a loan, that creates a deposit, and that is when money is created. In other words, banks don't sit there and go to their vault and, and hand you money when you take out a loan. They just put a deposit in your account. Where do they get that money at? Well, they just simply change the digits in the account. How can banks do that? Well, they can because money is not backed by anything. And that's the the system of money that we set up. Now, think back what it meant for for money to to be under the gold standard, what the gold standard was. That means for every dollar, there was so much gold held in a vault in Fort Knox, or wherever other central banks held their gold, and, and the reason why they did that was because then you could, would limit the amount of money going through the economy because you had to have the gold in the vault before you could create the dollar. Now, why did we move away from the gold standard? Well, it, it put some some cuffs and, and some constraints on the central bank on the government and what what happened during the great depression is well let's step back a moment when a country trades with another country let's say the US is trading with France or with China or some other country and they run a huge trade deficit think about that so in in the US we run a very very large trade deficit with China. In other words, China sells us their cheap clothing, we buy it, and we hand those dollars to the Chinese. What are the Chinese gonna do with all those dollars? Well, back under the gold standard, the Chinese could take those dollars and, and ultimately they could the business the Chinese business could convert it with their central bank, and then that central bank would go to the Federal Reserve and say, I have these dollars, I would like to trade them for some gold, please. Please hand me some gold. And and that's how flows of gold would go between countries. You could present your money, your dollars, to the Federal Reserve and you could get gold in return. Or you could, if you had pounds, you could present it to the Bank of England and get gold in return. Well, countries didn't really like the fact that their gold was going out of the country. And so they would want people. They would want China, for example, to invest their dollars in the U.S., not to trade it for gold. How could you entice somebody that holds a bunch of dollars to invest it in the country? Well, they want to earn a rate of return. They want to earn interest, and so they do that. And so if the interest rate is compelling compared to other investment opportunities around the world, then they would keep the money there in the U.S. or in some other country. And so what what effectively happened is, as money would flow out of the country, as countries traded, the holder of those currency, they would try to entice him to keep the money in the country invested, as opposed to exchanging for gold. That's how it worked for many years, until the Great Depression, because it was a problem. What they found was sometimes countries, if the economy is slowing... They want to lower interest rates. In other words, they want to lower interest rates to, to encourage households to borrow, to inco- encourage businesses to borrow, to expand output. And and so they, they want to lower the interest rates to, to sort of jumpstart the economy. Well, what happens when they lower the interest rates? Well then, those that, that were had their money, foreign countries that had their money invested in, the, in in the US, for example, they might not like that lower interest rate and interest rates might be higher in England. And so they would go to the central bank, the Federal Reserve, and say, I would like my gold, please. And then they would take that gold. And so what happened as other countries started to lower interest rates, they started to see their gold flow out of the country. And and they effectively said, "We, we, we don't like this. This is just not working. There's this constraint. In other words, we're running our economy based on trying to keep gold in the country when we have people suffering with unemployment, where we really should lower interest rates, but our gold will leave. So many country, countries during the Great Depression said, nah, no more. We are shutting our gold window. We will no longer exchange our currency for gold. Now, the U.S. continued to do so. They, they, they devalued the dollar, but they continued up until 1971 to say, yes, Central banker, if a foreign central bank comes to us with dollars, we will give you, uh, for $35, we will give you an ounce of gold. And they kept that up through the 40s, through the 50s, and the 60s. And, And what happened in the 60s is, well... People started to want gold again, and there there was a lot more dollars throughout the world, and not as much gold. And so that price of gold started to creep up above thirty five dollars, which which doesn't just wasn't going to work. And so, the gold there was pressure for the gold to flow out of the out of the country, and and the United States and the Federal Reserve tried to do various things to try to keep the gold there, and, and it, they adjusted interest rates, but at the end. It, it was a system that just wasn't workable because there was too little gold and there was too many dollars spread throughout the world. And so ultimately, in 1971, Richard M. Nixon, President of the United States, said no more. We're shutting the gold window. We will no longer exchange dollars for gold. That is a very, very important point because it meant that a currency was no longer backed by gold, which means it could be created without having the gold in the vault. Effectively, then, money could be created out of thin air. And, and banks do it, and governments do it.
1: Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com.
0: Now, how do governments create money? They create it by spending. That's it. There is so much worry in today's world. We talk about a misunderstanding of the economy. One of the great misunderstandings is that the, a government that issues their currency that is not backed by anything... That's called a fiat currency, so it's not backed by gold. It's just money because the government says it's money. They have a monopoly on it. One of the the misunderstandings is that the government actually needs to bring that money in in terms of tax revenue before they can spend it. But that's not true because the reality is if money is just digits, if it can be changed, think about your... Your high school days, you have the scoreboard there in the football games, and the other team, in our case, it was always the other team scoring. Inevitably, it was the other team scoring and scoring and scoring. I didn't play football. I was in the band. We didn't get to cheer a whole lot because the other teams were always scoring. But when the other team scored, the numbers on the board scoreboard changed. That is how, when a government spends, what do they do? They go in and they credit somebody's checking account, be it a business or a household, if it's somebody collecting Social Security, they just change the numbers. It says, Mr. Mr. Brown or Mr. Smith has so much more money for their Social Security check. And that's all they do. They don't have to sit, the right hand doesn't have to wait for the for the money to come in. That's that is that is when I first heard that, I was so shocked by that. That that just seemed unbelievable. Because we're so used to looking at the government, the federal government, like it's a household. I can't go out and and just spend money unless it comes in. It would be like me just taking little scraps of paper and writing $4 of, of Stein money on it and giving it to my neighbor. But that's effectively what the government does. How, how can they get away with that? Well, there's a secret weapon that governments have that effectively force us to use their money what's that weapon they demand that we pay taxes with it step back and think about that for a moment why, why why do we even use dollars Well, don't we use dollars because we, we get paid in dollars but but why don't we just use bitcoin or use use dice or something well the government won't let us pay our income tax with dice With Bitcoin, they demand we pay it in dollars, and that forces us to use dollars. And so because of that, the government has a monopoly on creating these dollars, of issuing the dollars. We have to use them to pay taxes. I mean, we just want to barter until it's time to pay taxes, but ultimately, even in a barter economy, at some point you have to get money to pay the taxes. In dollars or if you're in in Canada you pay with Canadian dollars or if you're in, in Europe the euro that's how they get people to use their currency now that we use their currency the government can create money simply by spending it they just change the numbers in the accounts when I, when I talk about money is digits that's effectively what I mean it's just numbers that could be changed so why does money have value if it's just numbers, it can be created out of thin air. Well, it has value because we can convert it quickly into something that actually has value. When we, when we go out and buy something, we give the store this paper, which has been created out of thin air, or in the case of paper, it was printed, and they give us something of value. And so we, we trust that the money is worth something because we can be converted into something. So there's a level of trust there. Now, that trust is important for our leaders because w- when I say that money as digits can be changed by just changing the digits, inevitably there, there's these conspiracy theorists that, that say, well, then we're going to have hyperinflation. Well, no, not necessarily. If we have responsible leaders then that that aren't just printing money willy-nilly, and they're not, then this, this system actually works and, and has worked for for many, many years. And, and in a later podcast, I'll talk about inflation and, and some of the constraints governments have because just because they can create money by spending doesn't mean that there are no constraints. The constraint is you can't create too much money because the wealth of a country, of our nation or another nation, is its ability ability to produce things, to produce output. That's all the economy is. When when statisticians measure economic growth, they're measuring how much output was produced in a given period of time compared to the other the time before. How many, how many goods were created? How many services were given? How much education was given? How much charity was given? That's output. That's what the economy is. And in the short term, there's only a limited amount of output we can create. There's only so many workers. There's only so many factories. There's only so many stores. And so the responsibility of government is to not create too much money so that you have too much money chasing a limited supply of output. That's what can create a rise in prices or inflation. And so that's the constraint governments have. Now, governments create money simply by spending. They don't have to to wait for taxes to come in. They're not like a household. Local governments clearly have to wait for money to come in before they can spend it. State governments, the same way. But the federal government is unique. It has a monopoly on issuing currency. It can change digits in people's accounts and create money out of thin air. So why collect taxes at all? Well, it gets back to this inflation issue. If we didn't collect taxes, then there would be too much money created. All taxes do is actually they take money out of the system. It destroys money. Spending creates money. Taxing destroys money. And, and so it, it's just digits. Banks create money, as I said earlier, by lending. They just change the number in the account. And how is money destroyed? Well, when somebody pays back a loan. It's fascinating that I mentioned the Bank of England actually published a paper in March 2014 where they talked about this is how money is created with banks. And in the show notes, I'll I'll put a link to that. You can read the paper, and it's it's as clear as day. This is how banks create money. They create money by making loans. Deposits create money. Or, or loans create deposits, which is money, is what I'm trying to say. Now, why isn't anyone talking about this? Because most people don't realize it. Central banks realize it, and I want to share in in the final couple of minutes a quote. It was an exchange between Representative Paul Ryan, when when in Congress, the vice presidential candidate. This was back in 2005, and he was having an exchange with Alan Greenspan, chairman of the Federal Reserve. And and during that time period, there was a lot of of interest in privatizing these Social Security accounts. In other words, everyone would have a a Social Security account separate. It would be privatized. and, And Representative Ryan felt that that was much more secure. Let me read you this quote. It's very interesting, this exchange. Congressman Ryan asked Chairman Greenspan, do you believe personal retirement accounts can help us achieve solvency for the system and make those future retiree benefits more secure? See, he's worried about security because what if, what if we run out of money? So if we set the money aside in the separate accounts, it'll be more secure. Here's what Alan Greenspan says. I wouldn't say the pay-as-you-go benefits are insecure In the sense that there is nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. There's nothing to prevent the government from creating money. How How do governments create money? They create it by spending. They credit individuals and business checking accounts, and they create the money, be it for caring for national parks. I mean, just spending money... They just spend it. They create it when it happens. When taxes occur, that destroys money. That's fascinating. And, and most leaders don't realize that today. And so the point of this podcast is to, to sort of start out the building blocks of the economy. What is the economy? What is money? How does that work? How does that impact your investing because if, if you're investing from the perspective the government can run out of money and, and your Social Security won't be there and hyperinflation is around the corner because the government is creating all this money, that, that, that's not the correct perspective. And so we want to understand how the economy really works. Not how it works in theory in economic textbooks, not how one's politics say it should work, but how does it work in the real world? So when we talk about money, we're not talking about theory anymore. It's now just digits. So mechanically, what happens? They just can change the digits because it isn't anything. Money is nothing. So why then do we invest? Well, the main reason we invest is because we want to take this nothingness, which is money, which are just numbers, which are just digits, and we want to buy real resources. We want to take this nothingness and buy something of value that, that creates income that will hopefully outpace inflation, which we'll talk about in the next podcast, what inflation is, what deflation is, and how that interacts with money. Now, that's episode one of our broadcast, podcast. I'd love to hear any questions that you might have. You can email me at jd at The notes for the podcast will be at moneyfortherestofus.net. Please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it via iTunes. Sometimes that's easier. It'd be great if you could leave a review. That would be helpful. Share it with your friends. If there's a future topic that you'd like to, to have me do, please email me again at jd at Any questions, comments, I'd love to hear them. Thanks for joining, and I'll see you next week. Just one more thing. The information and opinions contained in this podcast are for educational purposes only and does not consider the economic status or risk profile of any specific persons.
1: Any return expectations provided are not intended as or may not be regarded as a representation, warranty, or prediction that an investment will achieve any particular rate of return over any particular time period, or those investors will not incur losses. Thanks.